Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you would, please take out your Bibles now and turn in them to the Gospel of Luke and chapter number 14. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible and turn to page 59 in the back part, and you would be at Luke 14. If you've got a, an electronic Bible, that's okay. We, we just love you having access to your Bible as part of our services here at Wildwood. For some 35 years, there was a comic strip that appeared in the daily newspapers in America. It was a strip entitled Eek and Meek. And there's one particular strip that I always liked, and I just want to share that with you. In this strip, you have Eek, who is reading a newspaper, and he says, the world is in turmoil, institutions are crumbling, and values are changing. And then he asks the question, where are we going? What are we doing? What does it all mean? And then Meek replies by saying, look at it this way. We're closer to being farther from the truth than we ever were before. And you know what? I think that's really true of our culture today, that we're closer to being farther from the truth than we ever were before. As you look at our society, that's true of us. Sexual activity apart from marriage is in. Purity and faithfulness in marriage is out. Relativism in our culture is now in. And absolute truth, the fact that there could be truth for all people in all places at all times, is on the outs. Greed and acquisition at any cost in our culture right now, that's very in. Integrity and honesty is out. In our society today, choice is in and the right to life is out. And when we really take time to measure our culture by the Word of God, we find that our culture is out of whack with the kingdom of God. In fact, Paul communicated it this way in Philippians chapter 2. He says, we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It literally means we live in the midst of a bent and twisted culture. And it's important that we use the Word of God to realign us and to recalibrate us to God's kingdom. This week we're launching a four-part series we have entitled God's Upside-Down Kingdom. And the reason why we've titled it that is that His kingdom is so opposite of what we see in everyday life. As we watch people operating, they're operating opposite to God's kingdom. And there are a number of maxims regarding the upside-down kingdom of God that we find in the Bible. Here's a few of them. Find your life and you'll lose it. Lose your life and you'll find it. Another maxim of the upside-down kingdom is the last shall be first and the first shall be last. You don't hear that in our culture. How about this maxim? Give and you will have. 
keep and you will lose. That's different than our society's way of thinking. And then another maxim, he who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now again, these kinds of maxims appear to us to be upside down because of all that we see around us, but in reality, it's God's kingdom that's right side up, and we in our culture are upside down. And here's what I want us all to be doing in this little series we're going to go through. No matter where you may be in your Christian life, no matter how long you may have been a follower of Jesus, I want each one of us to take some time to evaluate our life, to be asking ourselves right now, the way that I've been living this past week, is it more lined up with the world or is it more lined up with the Word? And, and I want us all to do this. Would you do this for a moment? Take your palms, turn them upward right in front of you. Just do this for a second. And I want this little gesture that we do to symbolize our heart attitude, to be able to say over these next few weeks, I want to be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to be open to what God wants to teach me. I want to be listening to what he may have to say to me, how he might be telling me that I need to realign to his kingdom and maybe recalibrate my life to his kingdom. So we're going to look at God's upside-down kingdom, and I have entitled the message today, God's Elevator. And the passage we're looking at is from Luke chapter 14, verses 7 to 11, and I would invite you as I read through this just to follow along in your Bible as I'm reading. Jesus, it says, began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor or someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you will proceed to occupy the last place. Verse 10, but when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. And then in verse 11, Jesus says this, and this is the punchline here. This is the principle. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So here's the way God's upside-down kingdom works. This is the way God's elevator is. With God, up is actually down. And with God, down is actually up. Now, the occasion for laying out this principle that we see in verse 11 was an actual wedding dinner. And when you would come to a wedding dinner, the places of honor were the places that were at the left-hand side of the host and at the right-hand side of the host. And Jesus was saying 
don't really promote yourself by trying to sit in the place of honor. Go to the lower levels and then allow the host to ask you to move to a place of honor. But here's really the thrust of what Jesus was saying. He was saying those who practice pride and self-promotion will be humbled. And those who practice humility, those who give preference to other people, will be exalted. So let's take a look at the way this works. Let's take a look at the way God's elevator and his upside-down kingdom works. And again, we're evaluating, we're being open to how God wants to teach us. How do we operate? How have you been operating in your life recently? And in, in God's elevator, with God, up is really down. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. We want to look at two principles here as we look at the fact with God, up is really down. And the first one is that God hates pride. In Proverbs 16.5, it says this, the Lord despises pride. I mean, what more can we say? That's as clear as it comes. Pride turns God off. And not just God. I like this saying that I read one time. It says, pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the one who has it, right? We see someone promoting themselves, being prideful. It turns us off, and it turns God off. The Lord despises pride. Second principle when we see that up is really down with God is that God brings down the pride, or rather the proud. God brings down the proud. You know what's interesting about pride is there's actually a process to pride, and sometimes we're not aware of that process. There's a reality of the way pride functions, and I want to just talk about three realities about pride. First of all, this. Number one, Pride begins with an inflated view of self. It's where it starts. We have this inflated view of our self. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians 4, and we want to look at a few verses here. Now, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 4, I want to just remind you what was happening in the city of Corinth among the believers those in the church. They had an inflated view of themselves. They thought they were the most spiritual church on the face of the planet. They were so proud of the way that they did things and the gifts and the abilities that they had. Pride begins with an inflated view of self. Look at chapter 4. We're going to just look very briefly at verses 6 to 8. He says, at the, at the last part of verse 6, he says, I am, I'm communicating with you that you would learn not to exceed what is written. And then in verse 6, he says this, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you, he's getting a little sarcastic here, who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast 
as if you had not received it. And again, being sarcastic, he says, you're already filled. You've already become rich. You have become kings without us. Indeed, I wish that we had become kings so that we could reign with you. A lot of sarcasm. But the problem you see here was that they were experiencing an inflated view of self. They had this attitude of superiority that they had arrived spiritually. One of the most colorful terms in the New Testament is found in chapter 4 in verse 6 when he says, I want that no one of you would become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. And that verb that's translated there, become arrogant, is what's called an onomatopoeic verb in the original language. In other words, it sounds like it's meaning. And the verb here is the verb fusiao. You get that It means to puff up. It means to inflate. You know, when you're inflating something, it makes that sound And that's what this verb is. It's fusiao, that you not become puffed up. You do not become inflated. Why do we puff ourselves up? Why do we inflate ourselves? Well, we're self-promoting ourselves. We want other people to look at us and admire us. And that's what was going on in the church at Corinth. They were puffing themselves up because they wanted other people to think, man, that is the church there in Corinth. Let me ask you a question. Ladies, how many of you have ever worn platform shoes? Let me see some hands of some ladies. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about platform shoes is that they haven't been as in as they were at one era here in America, but a number of you have worn them. Let me ask you this. How many ladies have worn high heel shoes? Let me see hands. All right. We got a whole slew of you out there. What's interesting, historically in the world, platform shoes go way back, actually. But do you know who the modern inventor of high heels is? Anybody know the modern inventor of high heels? King Louis XIV of France. Now, why do you think King Louis XIV of France would be the modern inventor of high heels? He was a short guy. In fact, he not only began to wear these heels, many of them five and six inches in height, but he also developed a wig that he would wear that was eight inches tall. And then on top of his wig, he would put a hat with feathers in it because he wanted to impress people. He wanted to fusiao, pump himself up as being a really stellar, large figure in life. You know, you know you're on the world's wavelength when you go out of your way to make others aware of your achievements. You know you're on the world's wavelength when you go out of your way to make others aware of your educational background. When you go out of the way to make others aware of the stuff that you have, the car that you drive. 
when you go out of your way to make others aware of your stature in life, maybe the kind of position that you have, when you even go out of your way to make others aware of your ministry, what it is that you are doing. See, we, we, we tend to retell and exaggerate our accomplishments. It's one of the jokes, really, about anybody that's been out of high school for a while. You know, 10 years after high school, the stories just grow about how popular you were and, and how athletic you were and all the things that you accomplished because it's fusia, oh, just inflating ourselves. You know, not too many weeks ago, we had uh, a family come to visit who are formerly a part of Wildwood. They've been gone for a number of years. And, uh, you know, you begin to talk about the story, what are your children doing or what's happening in your life and so forth. And we were sharing all these kinds of things. And I, and I, I was saying to them, hey, you know, you need to come to Wildwood. It's changed a lot. The facility's grown. We have more people. A lot of cool things are happening at Wildwood. And you need to come see our children's facility. And then these words came out of my mouth. We have the best children's facility in the state of Oklahoma. And those words flew out of my mouth, and I'm thinking, Bruce, it's just fusiao going on, just trying to build everything up so that they can be impressed with me and with the leaders and the church at Wildwood where they're no longer a part. You know, after we had said goodbye to them, I, I got, took my wife aside and I said, I can't believe I did that. I mean, I, what pride in trying to impress somebody. So wrong, so tuned into the world's way of doing things. When we are at the center of what we're talking about, it's a giveaway. Pride is a process, and the first reality is that pride begins with an inflated view of self. And then secondly, pride breeds false confidence that tends to lead to a fall. And over and over again, we see this in the Bible, the warning about this. In Proverbs 16, 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. In fact, this is a repeating pattern in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 12 before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Pride begins with an inflated view of self, and then pride breeds false confidence, which tends to lead to a fall. Now, some of you may not believe this, but it's actually true that I used to play basketball on a regular basis. In fact, I remember the time we were in a church basketball league in the over 30 league. But the truth was that our team would have qualified for the over 50 league, except there was no such animal existing. So here we are, these older dudes, playing mostly guys in their 40s. 
And we've, we've had a lot of basketball teams over the years, but that was not one of the more successful ones. In fact, in that particular season, we had two victories, and one of them was a forfeit. The other team didn't show up. And after you complete the regular season, you know, you always have the playoffs. And the way they organize the playoffs is they put this bracket together of playoff teams. And what happens when you're the worst team in the league, which is what we were, with only one victory, you're at the bottom of the bracket, and then you automatically in the first game play, guess what? The top team in the league, the number one team, the team that had slaughtered us the first time that we played them. But you see, pride breeds false confidence, and false confidence tends to lead to a fall. And uh, what happened in the the game that we were going up against them is their best player didn't even come. Why bother? The rest of you will beat those guys like a drum. No trouble. Well, you know what happened? Yeah, the old dudes beat the number one team. Why did that happen? Because we were so awesomely cool as we played basketball? No, because pride breeds false confidence, and false confidence tends to lead to a fall. There's a process to pride. The reality is it begins by an inflated view of self, then it breeds false confidence that tends to lead to a fall. Number three, pride robs God of his glory. In Isaiah 42, God says, my glory I will not give to another. I want you to turn with me to another passage in the Old Testament this time to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. You find Isaiah, then Jeremiah, then Ezekiel, then Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. And we want to read from chapter 4 of Daniel. We're going to read verses 30 to 34. Now, just a little context. Babylon... The Babylonian Empire is the thing in the world at this time. And Nebuchadnezzar is the greatest leader that Babylon has ever seen. And I want you to notice what transpires in verse 30. The king was reflecting, out, no doubt looking over the city of Babylon. And he said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? And then I like verse 31. It says, while the word was still in the king's mouth, while he was still inflating himself, before he even said everything that he wanted to say, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You're going to hang out with the sheep and the cattle, and you will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize 
that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind, and he began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Verse 34. But at the end of that period, when his senses came back to him, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. See, with God's elevator up, is down. God hates pride, and God brings down the proud. Now, there's another part to God's elevator that it's important for us to see, and that is with God, down is up. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And we want to see two principles here as we look at the fact with God, down is up. And the first principle is this, God is pleased with humility. You ever think about that? God is pleased with humility. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. You know what God is saying? He says, I have a special affection for those who acknowledge their need. I have a special affection for those who consider others before themselves. I have a special affection for those who refuse to put themselves First, if God down is up, God is pleased with humility. Secondly, I want you to see that God honors the humble. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. God honors the humble. A couple of passages, James chapter 4 and verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. It's, it's a greater grace than the normal dispensing of grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives extra grace to the humble. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and what will happen? He will exalt you. Not necessarily just only in heaven, but even on this planet. Proverbs 29, verse 23, a man's pride will bring him low but a humble spirit will obtain honor. This is God's upside-down way of operating. I want to turn to one other passage in the New Testament. It's Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. So you go first and second Corinthians, then you have Galatians, Ephesians, and you come to Philippians chapter 2. 
But turn with me there. And this, by the way, you can read through these first 11 verses. We're not going to look at all of them, but it would be just a good little thing for you to do this week to meditatively read through these verses and ask yourself the question, am I living this in my life? Am I living this out as I relate to my family and my other relationships? Good question to ask. But you know, this is a story about how Christ was and how we're to be like him. Notice in Philippians 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with, notice these ideas, humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, this is the way Jesus was. exactly the way that he was. He regarded with humility of mind other people, that would be really you and me, as more important than himself. He wasn't looking out for his own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And it goes on to talk about how, although he had prerogatives as the ruling God of the universe, he set those aside, and he became a man, and then he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death in verse 8. Even death on a cross, which was the most despicable kind of death. And ultimately what happened is that God exalted him, having come through all of that. And that's the way God's kingdom works. With God, down is up. See, God is pleased with humility. And God honors humility. Now, that brings us to what really is the pivot question of the day. As we've looked at all of this stuff, and we've talked about his upside-down kingdom and his elevator that is different than the world's elevator. And the key question is this, for me and for you, how can I avoid pride? How can I cultivate humility? See, that's the pivot point. And I want, to, I want to just share with you four principles in that regard about how we can avoid pride and how we can cultivate humility. And by the way, this is the life application now of this message on God's elevator. These are the things that we should be writing down and putting into practice. How do we avoid pride? How do we cultivate humility? Number one, humility keeps a proper perspective of one's self. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 there, it's one of my favorite sections. I've mentioned it many, many times here at Wildwood. There in verse 7, this question is delivered to the church at Corinth. And the question was, remember how prideful they were. They thought they were the smartest group. They had the most gifts. They were the most advanced. And he says to them, what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer to that question is absolutely zero. You know, sometimes we, become, we can become proud of how intelligent we are. What do you have that you did not receive? You know, that's a gift from God. Now, maybe not everyone got your gift level of intelligence, 
But it's not because you were so inherently great. It's because God gave that to you. You know, I don't have, I don't have gobs and gobs of athletic ability, but whatever athletic ability I've got is a gift from God. Not everybody even has that ability. And whatever your ability is, God's given it to you. Maybe you have a great business sense. Maybe you're just able to take financial things and and be able to manage them well. What do you have that you did not receive? Not everybody got that gift. It's a gift from God, you see. Maybe you're very artistic. You have great artistic talents. Maybe you have this ability to sing, to play instruments well, to learn a foreign language well. Not everybody got that gift, but it's a gift that God gave to you. What do you have that you did not receive? It's even true of spiritual gifts and abilities that God has given to us. Where did it come from? You know, even speakers can become prideful, but they need to remember, it's not because of who they are. It's a gift from God. What do you have that you did not receive? God is pleased very much with humility, and humility keeps a proper perspective of one's self. There was a guy by the name of Dr. Nettleton. Dr. Dr. Nettleton was used of God in very many ways, and he once was asked, what's the best safeguard against spiritual pride? And here's what he said, I know of nothing better than to keep my eye on my great sinfulness. In other words, to be reminded that I mess up. And that keeps us humble. See, that's what the church at Corinth had lost sight of. They were going around, pumping themselves up. And what does Paul have to keep bringing up with them? Don't you realize these attitudes that you have? Don't you realize these actions that you have? Don't you realize you're acting like spiritual babies when you ought to be teachers of other people at this point in time? Keeping our eye on our own sinfulness, our own mistakes, not focused on it, but just reminding ourselves of it, helps to keep us balanced in humility. There's a Chinese proverb that says this, he who flies not high falls not low. Very, very true. Humility keeps proper perspective of oneself. Secondly, humility refuses, and these verbs are very important here in these statements, refuses to launch a self-promotion campaign. Proverbs 27.2 says, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Man, what would be avoided if we just followed that guideline? Let someone else praise you, not your own lips. See, true honor is not received because of self-manipulation and self-promotion. True honor is bestowed by other people on us, especially it is bestowed by God. Humility keeps a proper perspective of oneself. Humility refuses to launch a self-promotion campaign. And thirdly, humility focuses on the needs and interests of others. We're back to that Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 section. Well, we're not operating out of selfishness or conceit, but we're regarding other people as more important than ourselves. You know what a radical concept. This would be so totally different if people just follow that principle. 
not merely looking out for our own interests, but also the interests of others. You know, this, these principles are the key to relationships. Because how do we often think? I don't care if it's in our marriage, or I don't care if it's in our family, I don't care if it's at work or whatever. We tend to think this way, my needs were not met. Oh, I, I came to church, I got involved in this small group, my needs were not met. My needs, my needs, my needs. And yet the Bible says that we ought to consider other people's needs as more important than our own. You know, I've had a lot of married couples in my office over the decades that I've been here. A lot of husbands and wives, and they're having issues. But I have never yet had a couple in my office where both of them were sold out to meet the other person's needs. Never happened. Because if you've got two people sold out to meet the other person's needs, there's harmony and there's ministry. And you can think about the most troubled relationship that you have in your life. And you think, what can I do about that? I'll tell you one thing you can do. You can say the needs of that person are going to be more important than mine. And it, it will make a dent in that relationship. Humility keeps a proper perspective of ourself. It refuses to launch a self-promotion campaign. It focuses on the needs and interests of others. And then number four, humility gives God the glory. See, we're so prone to want to just kind of reach around and pat ourselves on the back. And the best thing to do when you begin to reach around is instead of going all the way back, just to end up pointing up. And I think about this little tour, you know, of the children's building that I was giving. And really what I needed to be doing is just talking about God the whole time. God is awesome. God is awesome that he connected us with this design. God is awesome that he motivated the people of Wildwood to invest in that way. God is awesome that he's given us this incredible group of people who minister to our children who are wet cement. I mean, I could have done all of that. And that's really what God wanted me to do to give him the glory. God's upside-down kingdom, God's elevator, these are the principles. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, I just want you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment. Remember, we started out by asking that the Holy Spirit might just be touching us in some tender spots that we need to be touched in. We're asking the question, the way I'm living my life, does it line up more with the world or does it line up more with the Word? And I have confidence that the Spirit of God has been at work in some of our lives. And maybe what God is saying to you through the Spirit of God today is that you just need to confess that you've been far too impressed with yourself recently. Maybe what God is saying to you, I don't know, is that you need to shut down the self-promotion campaign. Maybe God is saying what you need to do is set aside your own needs for the needs of someone else that he's brought to your mind and just to trust that God will exalt the humble. Maybe what the Spirit of God might have been saying when it comes to humbling yourself is that you need to speak up and be the one to take the initiative to reconcile a relationship, to, to be the first one to apologize. 
Father, we would pray that you would teach us. We acknowledge that we need you. And Father, may we remember what is written in Jeremiah when it says, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but he who boasts, boasts of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in those things. Father, Continue to mold us and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.